On this week's episode of the Brett the Pro- Bet the Process podcast, we have Corey Jazz, a analytics savant and analytics legend, but we talk a lot of golf. Uh, Rufus and I recap Sloan, and then we end with some insights on the Players' Championship this weekend. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast, bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. This is the post Sloan recap episode. Um, and also we're going to start getting into some nerdy golf talk. So that's pretty fun. Uh, Rufus, how was your Sloan experience? It was amazing, Jeff. Thank you for, I, I wasn't actually going to go. So I, I, I owe this all to Jeff um, for, for getting me to go and helping me get off the wait list. So I could go to the actual conference though. I mean, though the actual conference kind of pales in comparison to the sort of conference adjacent shenanigans that go on. How was your Sloan, Jeff? It was good. It was just really good to reconnect with a lot of people. You know, obviously some of my favorite people came to the the dinner that, um, that we bet the process through at the end of the conference. Um, you know, we had Nate Silver there and, and we had, Mike Zarin and Evan Wash from the NBA and uh, Shane Battier. And it was, it was a really fun dinner. And we had some of the like Sarah Rudd, who's like just this incredibly smart soccer person used to work for Arsenal for 10 years. And um, you know, Mladen who is, you know, like a, there just were some amazing people there. And what I love about our, our, you know, we had like it poker players man. and yeah. I mean, I think I, mean, what, I looked what I over at one point, I, I see my brother, like, talking with Shane Battier about something at the other table while I'm debating Nate Silver about how much about how much credibility political prediction markets should have. I think it's fair to say that Nate doesn't give enough credibility to markets in general, right? Well, like, no, it was an interesting thing. He basically said that markets are full, like it's full of people that are more emotional and uninformed and people that are not professionals at this. Whereas if you look at, if you look at stock, markets and stuff like that they're full of professional sports betting markets have people that are making money off it political prediction markets don't and so i think that's actually i really i want us to have nate on here to kind of discuss that i think it's a really interesting discussion topic yeah i think we'll have nate on i just think it's a matter of like when and when's the most when's the best time to have him on obviously the book that he's writing right now he'll want to be on bet the process because they'll want to reach some of the people that will read that book but that's not coming out for another year probably I mean, it's not coming right. out for a while, but I'm sure he'll want to tease it. Like we could talk about yeah. it. Um, who was your favorite? Who was your favorite guest at the dinner? Um, so I was sitting next to I was sitting next to someone, uh, Steph, who used to be um, wait CEO of Rag and Bone, and now she has. Uh, I mean, you met her, Jeff, in the speaker room. She knew nobody else. She didn't have like 
like everybody else. Yeah, there basically had a bigger t- started connection. talking to her and found her really interesting and her story really interesting. And I asked her to come to the dinner. Um, because- I literally don't even know her last name, but um, but she has a very interesting company that is empower. Basically, she hi- she um, gets the sort of top up and coming. Um, well, not just up and coming, but top female athletes. Um, it's sort of a, to help empower them as they through their journey of their career. That's a really Hopefully bad you're not explanation, Jeff. Be the marketing director for no, that. No, I'm company. definitely not. I mean, I her last name my is elevator Strack, pitch. so she's, okay. her name is Steph Strax. S-T-R-A-C. You've also heard my elevator pitch for my company, so I'm not good at that. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I really enjoyed Sarah Rudd and talking to her. You know, obviously, soccer is an area that I don't know a lot about, and her knowledge and her her depth in terms of like what she's trying to do now and building out you know, uh, software to help teams and, um, her background having been in tech and then going into, uh, going into soccer is, is pretty fascinating. Um, and she had some great stories about navigating the sports world, um, which the challenges that she faced. So, yeah, I think, I think it's good that we, you know, have a a real soccer person that we can maybe get on at some point, which is good. And, And I think they call it football, um, do you have any, did you have any highlights from the actual conference itself? Like any of the panels that you found interesting? I went to, I, I, I went to more panels this year than I did at my last loan, which was in 2020. Yeah, it was 2020. Cause that time I only went to one this time I went to the, a golf, the golf panel and I went to a competitive it was one of these sort of smaller things uh talking about the biomechanics of a golf swing so that was more of an investment in my own golf game than anything else but i thought that was really interesting although i didn't i wish that it they i had been talked down to more because i didn't really understand all the all the verbiage necessarily i gave the gambling panels the sports gambling panels a a shot that was it for freaking 8 30 a.m on saturday and, like like and, why would you ever put a gambling panel at 8 30 a.m on saturday like think about well, the, go, i don't maybe, maybe it's about gamblers purpose. what gamblers are awake at 8 30 a.m well there weren't any real gamblers on the panel which is like oh. interesting to me and you um, were not involved in the gambling panel which is interesting i, to w- me. I was not and then did you and honestly like get demoted actually i mean i thought the poker panel oh no and i went to the poker panel i forgot about that i went to your panel which i thought was very interesting and it was it's think, gambling but not sports gambling well, I think that the interesting thing about the poker panel that we did, um, and I'm sure it's online if people want to see it, is really about just this whole idea of of game theory, game theory optimal, and like whether something can really be solved when human behavior is a big component of it being solved. Like it just doesn't. I think you and I live in a world where we don't, we just don't believe that's solvable. But like these poker people really do feel like it's solved to some degree. And then you kind of like talk to them about their own behavior and you realize that they're not necessarily even like doing what they, they say is solved. Right. Like, so it's like, uh, it's kind of fascinating and, and poker, honestly, it, I know you don't find it particularly interesting. I but, don't. Yeah. Well, no, no, I, no. I mean, I just, I just get bored by it myself. It's interesting because I was no, talking but to I, Nate I think about the this. Direction Nate, that Nate, Nate basically thought was like, he was very surprised that I've never looked into poker. Well, so I think it's interesting. I think it'll be something that becomes a bigger part of our podcast because I think there's a lot to be learned from the way that poker is proceeding right now with solvers 
like the the idea of analytics and so the, the analytics movement broadly if you think about this sort of idea and like we're going to have Corey Jazz on in a second and, and one of the things we talk with him about is sort of like this career arc for those that are in um, analytics and like what you can do but I, I do think like the direction that analytics plays in business sports um, broadly is very much uh, like we can look at poker as a harbinger of what is to come in the rest of the world to some degree, if that makes sense. Like, because like blackjack is a bad one because well, it's a blackjack system. is so perfect. What's up? Yeah, blackjack is a closed system. And, and it's so perfect, right? And so I can say to you, like, you know, I, I do these speeches and like, I'll say to these things and then people will always ask like a great question, which is like, hey, I get it. Like you can say this, you know, process of outcome or, you know, measure everything in terms of probabilities and blah, blah, blah. You can say that in blackjack and feel 100% true that you're right. But what about the real world? The real world is not like that. And like, how do I know that my model is is stationary or stable or like and these are all really good questions and you don't know right and so the way that i think poker players are starting to use analytics in a more thoughtful way where game theory and everything else is, plays a part of it i mean i think you're going to see this in business you're going to see this in sports you're already seeing it in sports we've talked about this idea of like whether siriani is so optimal that he's predictable um, and will people that are even smarter than Sirianni or the Eagles organization, will they use that against them? I think one of the things that's challenging right now is that, you know, some of the smartest organizations in terms of analytics, you don't see the coaches embracing that analytics in their decision making um, quite the way you'd like to, right? Like, I think, you know, I, I think the 49ers are one that. I certainly know their front office is incredibly savvy, but then you see some of the, the decisions that Kyle makes and they're not savvy on the field. They're, 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 they're wrong. And, you know, again, like you get back to this idea of like, what do they know that we don't know? And, you know, we're just nerds on the side. We're just nerds that have never you know played the game, all that kind of stuff. But True story. I think Sirianni really showed something this year in terms of ability. And again, like it's funny because when he had probably the most important decision to make, he didn't make it. Um, but anyways, it's funny. I mean, you actually mentioned the whole game theory of Sirianni thing in your panel. Mm -hmm. You, Yeah. Yeah, I did. And, and I, I think, by the way, for yeah, those like, that don't know, Jeff moderated a poker panel where he kind of talked about is poker solved um, with, an interesting um, assortment of panelists. Yeah, it was Nate Silver, Maria Ho, Maria Ho. Kat, uh, Jennifer Shahady, and Shuan Liu. Um, I think all of them except Nate are like poker world champions. I don't. I think I don't know if Nate's ever, but Nate plays a ton of poker. So you know, it's um, it is what it is. My uh, friend who's in that world said Nate is like really. He's kind of his poker's taken off lately, and I was like, yeah. I mean, it seems like he's getting back into that world. What um did you have a tilted moment of the week? Um, not especially. I'm trying to be less. I mean, <laughs> I don't. This the the thing with this question is it just it, it encourages you to be a victim. It's a joke question. Rufus, I know it is. Of. I realize I mean, that. I realize you don't have that. to take everything so seriously. Like life isn't all. I mean, you know, we have moments in our lives where you go, ah, you know, and it's like. 
you know, like my tilted moment. Just try not to focus on them. That's why I never know what it is each week. I'm trying to think what my tilted moment was. No, I mean, we had a good run in craps at the, the encore. Oh, my tilted moment was going through the, uh, at the end of the night, it was like 3 a.m. at the encore. We were all staying at a variety of different locations around the Copley Square area. And I decided to get a casino host at the encore with the sole reason of trying to get like a nice ride back for us. Meaning like at worst, you could probably get a nice like limo ride or whatever back suburban ride back and went through the whole thing. And then, uh, you know, got the host and, you know, glad handed him and then there was no cars available. So I ended up taking oh, a cab anyways. So, or an Uber cab. I can't remember what we took, but that was my tilted moment. Did you have one? You didn't have one. Not really. Was no, it not I mean, getting I, it? I, I didn't make well, it to the I didn't well, I was with um can I say any of this or no? Mike Zarin and yeah, no, we were going to some club in Boston, but he couldn't um I, I, I basically saw him talking to, I mean because we were trying to get more people in than they allow. And I see the person saying they don't make the rules. So I'm like, yeah, I'm out. That's fine. It was already like close to midnight and and so I wasn't very, I, I kind of, in a way, was a little relieved though. So me and Shane and, and Steph just kind of walked home. Yeah. But, although then I did stop it. I stopped at Yard House and, and saw a few people and got a la- drink before last call and then went home. But you all, you all made it back at like 4 a.m. Um, I made it, it was back late. It was definitely I made late. it back at like 1 a.m. So I, it was, I, I was happy about it the next morning. Yeah. Whereas Tom had to be up early to to fire college basketball stuff, but he's young. He's young. He's a, he yeah. bounces back. I'll oh. say, I, I do want to say something on the mental side. What's interesting is I, I've realized like we've had this like epic run lately. Like, I mean, an epic heater. The last six weeks, I've it, it's far surpassed by earnings any six weeks ever. Like it's more than I made last year, um, and but it's kind of like made me feel a little down and now it seems weird, but it's in a way it's made me feel a little less purpose in what I do. Like the times that we, the times that I'm sucking, I kind of feel purpose because, you know, I want to turn things around. Um, and, and, but when things are going really well, it feels like continuing to go well, doesn't feel as meaningful. And I know this is like a totally unrelatable problem, not necessarily um, very gambling specific, but it, it's interesting. I mean, I, th- I've found that in general times when things go like really, really bad or really, really well, uh, it makes me feel like betting is less meaningful because it makes me feel, it makes me realize that money is less meaningful, I guess, you know, you're like, well, this hasn't changed my life one way or another. And still the money's feels just like in a spreadsheet, not real, but well, I mean, I think this goes back to this whole idea of you and unabated and the whole deal. Like you're in this constant like journey for understanding what meaning is in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think like you often like reach out around like human interaction and people and like working with people, you you think that that's what's going to bring you the most meaning. And I think it does to some degree. For sure. Um, 
relationships. And I think you're like, yeah, what's up? Relationships are like the most important thing. Right. And I think, and I, and I do think this is why like people don't believe you when you say like, okay, unabated isn't about the money. I a hundred percent believe you. I don't think sports betting has ever been about the money for you. I mean, obviously the problem is then when you have money, right. It's easy to say like the money doesn't matter. So it's like, but a, it wasn't about the money for me at the beginning. I mean, I, I, know, I started I, I get it, a job making 25,000 a year because it, I loved, I, I liked the challenge. But yeah. The, the, I know. I, I think the challenge that you face in life in being relatable is that <laughs> these feelings that you have are so unique and unrelatable, right? That, I don't see the thing is, I think we, I don't think, I think maybe the specifics of the feelings are unrelatable, but I think the feeling is relatable to people. I think when people, do you know what I mean? I feel like exploring your yeah, own I mean, I think we're, self, we're going your own motivations, your own mind. We're going down some challenging philosophical, you know, my point is, I think that you have to identify, you have to understand how saying like, you know, we've won so much money, blah, blah, blah. And that's made my life have less meal, meaning how that sounds to someone. Uh, well, that's Jeff, I also right? talk about, I also talk about, I, I talk much more about coping with when things are not going well. Sure. So I think it's interesting. And so I, I had um I had dinner yesterday. Well, he had already eaten, but I, I met up with my friend Sebastian yesterday, um, who also gambles. Um, and so in in kind of when I told him this, I, I texted him this, I texted you this, Jeff, yesterday about feeling a little down as a result of all the winning. And and he could completely relate, actually. Um, but Interestingly, the reason he did was different than the reason the reason I felt down, I guess. So it is like it is interesting how we all deal with this. And actually, I had a group text about this with um, my betting partners. And um, I, I do think it's not unique. I've, I realized that or at least just given the fact that everybody seems to feel that to some extent in a way. I mean, you also don't grow as much when things are going well. I've said this for a long time, like, and actually Tom messaged me once um, after we had a bad day and he said, it was something like we're sowing the seeds of future winnings or, I mean, basically it was like, we're, we're creating the, we're creating the conditions for future success when we lose. So it's kind of true though. Okay, let's uh, let's bring in Corey, and then we'll talk to you guys all again on the other side. We now welcome in the international man of mystery and analytics, Corey Jez. <laughs> I think of all people in the analytics world, you have sort of the most diverse background across multiple sports. I mean, how many people have done analytics work at any real level in three different sports i would say i mean like i guess people that bet maybe do but we're not going to talk about those people um tell us a little bit like who is Corey jez jeff i think i just can't sit still maybe maybe might be the uh the larger problem here i was always kind of adhd as a kid so maybe that's uh becoming pervasive in my you're in good company (laughs) well um yeah you know it's it's been a, a, you know, all of us have kind of weird, unique, fun journeys, especially in sports data 
space, whether you're on team side, whether you're on the gambling side, you know, it's, this is not like being a partner at a law firm or something where there's like, a, or a doctor or a surgeon where there's some very prescribed path you have to take. I mean, you guys have talked to a lot of folks on the podcast who have weird, interesting stories about how they got into this stuff, um, which is why I think one of the reasons why this space is so cool. And I mean, my background was my father was a college basketball coach um, at VCU. I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. So like in third grade, I was going to basketball camps. They were, you know, my dad was running the basketball camps. So, um, and, and graduating undergrad 2011 with an economics degree, learning like the kind of the basic SQL and Python, kind of the traditional ubiquitous tools. My first job out of college. And I've, I've not figured out a way to tell this story without using the, without referring to Moneyball. So we just like, we just have to do it and get it out of the way. But uh, that movie came out in 2011, the I graduated undergrad and I start being like, oh, I know what those things are that those teams are doing. Like I've seen those tools. I, and then it's just, you know, grew up loving basketball. And, and that was, uh, that kind of became the career goal. Um, lucky enough to go to the Utah jazz for about four seasons um, and really helped build out their analytics capabilities. And now you look at, you know, what they've done on the court, at least Quinn Snyder, you know, previously taking the most threes in the league two years in a row and, Will Hardy overperforming with their team right now. So played a very, very small role in some of those things. And um, transitioning to soccer, should, you know, I did for about 18 months. I still consult with soccer teams um, on the side is uh, I think soccer might be the most academically interesting, at least on the team side application of this stuff. You're when you're in major league soccer, your player pool is probably 10,000 plus, you know, you're sitting at about, arguably the eighth to 12th best league in the world. Um, I'm sure a European would knock us down a few, few more beyond that. An American would knock us, tell us we're top six or something, but uh, the, the data aspect of that player recruitment, player fitness and wellness is so much more integrated in soccer than it is basketball. Um, just because the kind of the wearables and, and those things ha have always been more integral to the team operation side of things. And so I think soccer still today, one of the groups I work with is, um, uh, you know, just an American group that just bought a team overseas. And uh, um, the idea to like help kind of put recruitment in place based around data, you know, using tools like StatsBomb and things like that, super interesting. And we, you know, that story's already been told a number of times about uh, how you can get promoted and, and do those types of things. So I think soccer's, still probably the most interesting use of data on the team side with with a ton of leverage to go and then uh you know as far as the golf stuff it's like i don't know if those you know if those jobs existed eight years ago when i was getting into the space i would have been, i would have been signing up for those jobs so i played uh just like you guys try to play as much as i can and um i think for me and how i got we all play in, we play a little bit more than you do per round so well i don't know about that we still haven't played together jeff so you can't say that yeah i'm sure i'm sure that's the case today you'll be seeing me you know you'll be seeing me probably on a different hole playing your hole so there you go jeff and i are playing the same course today not together that's which amazing is, which is the most um, ironic thing so which course are you guys playing barton creek uh, just a club out here in austin and their canyons it's, course which just got renovated so it'll be for anybody who knows that it, it's uh it's a tough course tough track I, I think i played it i think tom and i played it so Corey. I think it's interesting because for many people, 
you know, we just got back from the Sloan Analytics Conference. Um, and, you know, there is a lot of aspiring analytics, you know, uh, people at that. And they would probably look at the Utah Jazz job you had or the FC Austin job you had as sort of like the pinnacle, right? Like that's what they would aspire to is to work for a team. Why is, why have you not, why, why did you leave those roles or why, why wasn't that enough or like describe how those roles, you know, played out for you and like how you've gotten to where you are now, where you're not at those, at those roles. Like what were the reasons that, that, that you left those roles? Yeah. You know, I think it's just kind of part of the natural evolution of, of at least my career. Um, you know, going from going from the NBA to Major League Soccer, when I made that jump, I had someone, um, I had someone who worked in Major League Soccer, kind of say, "You, you sure you want to do that? Like people don't usually go, you usually go the other direction." Um, but again, it was you know the the ability to work at an expansion club was really intriguing. Um, you know, I joined I joined Austin FC like three months before the expansion draft. Did you also um, get to move to Austin then? Is that when you did, moved to Austin? I did, I did, yeah, okay, yeah. so this is why you did this, right? Bear, there's there's a little bit of burying the lead there. Okay. Um, uh, my wife, uh, my wife did her grad work at UT Austin as well, so we we got married here. But but time. for but, let's just stop for a second though. If the role at Utah had been substantive enough, moving to Austin would not have been an option, right? Like you would have wanted to stay at an NBA team. Like the, the what I'm getting to, and this is where where I think this is interesting. So. I sat on a, a the plane next to Bob Myers going out to All Star, and Bob is the the for people that know, and he's the GM of the Golden State Warriors and highly respected to be one of the best GMs in the business, et cetera, right? And so he and I were talking, and we were talking a little bit about some of the things that I should do next. And he said, "What you really should do is is go be you know an analytics guy on an NBA team, right?" And he was like, you know, like there's a way, there's a place where that is a really important, influential role. And I think in his mind, he's like, would love to have a counterpart like myself to to challenge him, et cetera, and whatnot. My belief is that there aren't a lot of teams where that role has the significance that we all believe it should. And that's kind of why you left the jazz and why you left. I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming that there's something to that because if you had a substantive role at an NBA team where you were able to make impact, I don't think you're leaving to go to an expansion MLS team. Well, I, I think it's a really good general point about the league because I, I think the people you just described, the archetype of people you just described, Jeff, that, you know, those of us inside that space and I'm kind of half inside it these days, but um can you could probably count them on one hand the people who who kind of check all those boxes that Bob just described and it's the Sachin Gupta's the Sergi Olivas the people in kind of the assistant GM special advisor type of roles and obviously most of us are not privy to the internal workings of each NBA team for for good reason um, but I do think over time you are going to see that. Uh, become the case and every team is kind of just in a different place on its trajectory just like you know everyone's like oh basketball's behind baseball and and my answer is kind of like it's not behind it's just like the curve goes up into the right pretty uh in a very polynomial fashion and we're just early basketball's earlier in the curve and soccer's even earlier in the curve and golf's way back before like to the left of the y-axis right so um and i hope it stays there 
Uh, but I, I bet you do, Rufus. Uh, but I, I think teams are independently on, you know, individually on that curve as well. And you see, you've seen little developments. Um, teams putting, you know, assistant coaches with the title assistant coach, not with the title like video room data nerd, but guys out there, you know, who have advanced degrees, who know how to write software code, who view the game through that lens, right? And they can influence the coaching staff in that way, just like you're starting to get assistant GMs, uh, special advisor types, you know, people at the decision maker role, you know, analytics has traditionally been decision support for NBA teams where you kind of ascended uh, Kathy Evans in Washington's a great, a great example as well with her. She's VP of research for the wizards, you know, something that that organization clearly values, uh, both the, the level of input that the team can make and by and putting someone where she can talk to, uh, you know, a Tommy and, um, and have influence on the decision. So, you know, it's not, it's not ubiquitous yet, Jeff, to your point. Um, so if, if you were given an opportunity of that type, you know, let's say in San Antonio, which would probably not require you to move. Right. And they said to you like, Oh, you know, like you're going to be the, you're going to report directly to the GM. You're going to have an assistant GM title, and you're going to essentially be able to play in every decision we make. Would you? Would you do that? Would you drop everything to do that? And, yeah. and a commensurate salary with that, obviously. I think it's a really compelling thing for a lot of us in the space, especially those of us who've been doing it for five plus years now. You know, we're not we're not still learning our linear regression models like we've mm-hmm. you know and. I think what what has to come along with that, Jeff, and this is the least sexy part of analytics. We talked about it on the um, the Nerder podcast with Seth uh, and Dave at Sloan as well. It's like the the buy in from the organization, not just to put that person in their role, which is helpful, but to allow that person to go build out that part of the org. I mean, the way we talk about building out a scouting department or building out a coaching staff, you have to be thinking about building out your technology group in the same way because it's. It's no longer to me. It's no longer analytics. It is now, you know, technology integration at every decision touch point for your organization. You know, do your fitness coaches have the stuff they need? Do your, you know, when your scout is on the road at Georgia Tech at a game, can he pull up on his phone the player's shot chart and the correct advanced metrics that you want your org to use when looking at a college player? Because if he, if your scout can't do that quickly and easily, which is all just tech, that's not even. There is embedded analytics there, but it's just tech and software. And nobody talks about this stuff at all. It'll never get talked about on a Sloan panel. We were making a joke in NBA Slack the other week of like an airflow Sloan panel, which would be the least attended thing of all time. And yet I think it's the most important, the biggest competitive advantage piece that a lot of data engineers, DevOps, front-end, back-end type stuff. And uh, people are probably going to sleep listening to me ramble on about this, but I think Putting that person in that role with arming them. I, I mean, you know, Portland has really done this with Sergi Oliva, who they brought over, Joe Cronin, new general, you know, from interim to full general manager in Portland, you know, built out an assistant GM stable with, you know, a personnel guy, a scouting guy, and an analytics guy, and and really armed them. If you look at their kind of their uh their front office roster, they have a lot of technology people now. And so I think that's the the part that has to be tandem with it, Jeff. So I think a lot of folks in our space you know, hope that roles like that continue to uh, evolve and, and start to exist. Um, and I just, I always look back at baseball 
and you look at the front offices of baseball and this is what they look like. And so I, 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 the BRI numbers are close enough that it's not like baseball's playing for double the amount of money the NBA is. So I, th- I think it's close enough that this is where we end up in, you know, another half decade. I think that's a good segue into what you're doing now for golf, building out a platform, the tech side. How much it, is you do you want to talk a little about a little bit about tour IQ and and how much of that is actually building out a platform for golfers to be able to access the metrics that are important versus actually more detailed in-depth analysis? Yeah, it's it's I think what we're building now on the golf side is is really informed by that ramble I just went on essentially from my experiences on the team side uh the software developer who works with me on the platform his name is Phil Baker he's awesome but he's worked at a major league baseball team as a software developer um so the concept of a data first platform that's a decision support tool is is very much kind of our philosophy of this stuff and just to compare it to what you do Rufus and obviously we're not uh, you know I'm going to like you know, maintain appropriate distance from the gambling stuff, but you know, you're really interested in prediction, right? Single point prediction. You, uh, you, I presume you could care. You want to know the why, but if you're right, you could probably care a little best, little less about the why, Um, you know, why? I I don't think you can be right without knowing the why though. Sure. Sure. Um, Over time, certainly. Uh, But I really care, you know, that that's the only thing that I kind of care about the what and the why and the how. And so um, Tour IQ is, is our platform that um, we just launched over the last month or so that gives golfers all of that. ShotLink is so, so rich. You guys have seen it and played with it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the economics of golf being an individual sport have not allowed somebody to come in and say, you know, give me all or most of, you know, we we can't be everything for everybody at the same time, but give me all the information that I need when I'm practicing on an off week, when I'm getting ready to play sawgrass, when I'm walking my practice run at sawgrass and saying, wow, on 18, like how tight of a line on 18 do I need to take to the water? Because, you know, if I hit three wood in the right rough versus driver in the right rough, because if I hit driver on 18, I'm probably going to end up in the rough. Um, Those types of things. Or the water. Or the water, right? But if you if you take driver, your line's got to be a little more. Um, you're, you're more chance. You have to, you have to take on more water, basically. Yep, yep. And so, what are those trade offs? And Tour IQ is just based on that experience I just talked about, and saying why does this not exist for pro golfers yet? Um, there are plenty of smart people who work in the kind of the golf analytics space, certainly in gambling, um, but also you know on tour. But I don't think anybody's taking kind of a software systems first approach to empower the players to and their caddies and their coaches and their agents even to to kind of be able to ask and answer any question they want about their game in real time. So that's that's our view of it. So this is a platform. This is essentially it. it it's difficult to make the economics work just consulting for players without having a centralized platform, basically. Is that kind of the... It's, yeah, I think, I, I mean, obviously I'm, I care about the economics for myself, but the economics for a player, no single player is going to go hire the staff of, you know, a data scientist, a data engineer, and a front-end developer, which is the minimal staff that like a basketball team would need. And they probably have multiple people in all of those roles. And then maybe an analyst to actually sit and interpret all this stuff. Um so no single player is going to spend half a million plus bucks on 
you know, in, an infrastructure and a group to build out the infrastructure. Um, but I think we can build that internally or we can build that centrally and you kind of dilute the cost pool across your client base to make it at a price point that's really reasonable for the players. You know, we think if we can help you a quarter shot around, um, which we think there's plenty of holes where we unearth quarter shot. So it's very conservative to say we can help you with a quarter shot around uh, that moves you up one place uh, at each event. You know, just using an example, the Honda Classic going two strokes from 49th to 29th was like a 25 is like a $25,000 swing. So you, you know, wait, do you think when I hear people say, like, oh, we can help like a quarter shot around, I'm like, that's a lot. That's a huge yeah. amount. And, and I'm, I'm initially very dubious that, you know, that you could, that any golfer could be helped that much just based on analytics. Yeah. Can, it's, can I guess, can, can you tell me why, or did you say a quarter shot prevent? No quarter. I said a quarter shot around. Um, and I, I say that not because we have a specific model that is tuned to that spit out that number, but because when we look at a hole and based on all these conversations I've had with tour pros and guys saying, oh, crap, I didn't realize that bunker. Let's say there's a pin tucked over a bunker somewhere. I didn't realize that bunker was such an easy up and down. I was going to play away from that pin. Now I know it can be a little more aggressive to that pin. And that that situation, you know, in our system, we might when we look at 18 holes of a course, we might see that three, four five times just with like a pin short sighted situation where a, a pro didn't realize they generally obviously know what are the easy and, and bad spots to miss. But we're putting numbers to all those things. Same stuff with tee shot strategy. Then you overlay all the all the practice routine stuff that happens throughout the course of the week. Um, and, and we think all those things aggregated together can add up to that kind of a margin. Um it's more anecdotal, Rufus, than than your methodology would be for for improving something like that. But based on conversations, that's what we've seen. I was going to ask: Are you so? Are you building a predictive model to say this is how for a particular player, or just overall, this is how easy it is to get up and down from this bunker with this pin location? And if it is, if it's like a query, how much is the fact that the guys taking on that particular pin in the past maybe? have been the guys that have a lot of confidence in their bunker game and say, you know what, I can go with this because, you know, I have the game to get up and down here. Yeah. So we do, I mean, yeah, we, we do both in our platform, right? We obviously have modeling components of our system because we want to show guys what course effects look like. Obviously those are, those are smaller on, you know, quarter round, less, less than that basis around that. Um, And we also want to help guys uh, simulate out what, you know, if they improve X in their game, what that could mean, you know, in terms of Y for earnings and things like that. Um, but the second part you mentioned is is kind of the primary part of the system is the the decision support aspect of it. Now, what's hard to measure in that instance and what you're referring to is like, what is our marginal impact on somebody's holistic kind of output? Because it may be a situation where a player is less, com- you know, it's kind of waffling on strategy or they would be waffling on strategy on a T is this three, what is this driver? Is this go with the pin or not? And we can come in and kind of be the tiebreaker, you know, through their practice round, they went in and said, okay, I was, I was thinking this, I was thinking that, okay. I like, I like option a let's go. Let's execute on option a. Like we're, re- we're not really confident because it's backed up by our data, or our strategy. How do you quantify the marginal impact that that has over the course of a round? I don't know. Um, and how you model that out. Um, 
think as we get Im- embedded into the tour a little deeper and as we bring on some more clients, uh, we'll probably be able to see some holistic, you know, returns and that'll still be a little fuzzy in terms of how we model exactly our impact. But that's our primary goal is to to arm them with all the best information so that we, when they get out there, they know they're executing on the best strategy. Got it. Makes sense. So in terms of like this versus, I'm sure you're familiar with like Scott Fawcett and the work that he does. How, how do these two things compare in terms of, you know, obviously from a standpoint of you're more of a technology platform. And I think to the point that you're making, right. One of the things like when I, when I think about what you're doing, it's like, it seems like it's something you could market a lot to caddies, you know, to, to really have the caddies be armed with this information. Similarly to like how Scott thinks a little bit about it. His is like more of a philosophy and certainly it's not really technology because it's ultimately like a class and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but how do the, these two things, like, how do you think about these two things, you know, fitting together? Yeah. You know, I, I've played with decade as a you know competitive amateur golfer and it's a great framework for me because uh, I don't have shot. You know, I wish I showed up to like a US mid-am qualifier and had shot link data available for those courses, but uh, by and large, we won't have that. Um, and so, you know, without, there, there are obviously different philosophies, different schools of thought um, as far as strategy goes and different players are going to want different things. Um, so, what I think we do, you know, without comparing us to anybody in particular, but what I think we do differently is I think we leverage the shot link data explicitly really, really well. Um, in that, you know, on every hole, we're looking at the last five years of shot link data. Um, and we've set up our system in a way that we think there's a generalizable framework to look at any hole on tour. So many holes, so many different, um, so many different strategies. Um, you know, my stance is kind of angles matter when they matter and they don't matter when they don't. And maybe that's 80% of the time they don't matter and 20% they do or 50, 50, but there are lots of holes on tour where the angles matter um, that, that you come, you know, whether it's where you come in from a pin where you try to short side yourself and those types of things. And we'd like, you know, we think we should know that when it applies. And so um, not comparing us to Scott directly, but maybe what we what I think we do uniquely relative to the space is we leverage that data at scale in a way that I personally haven't seen before. Not to say it's not out there. So um, we're just a little more explicit and a little more tangible um, from what we can produce on a week in, week out basis. Um, not to mention all the kind of season long stuff when a player is just trying to better understand their game, but better understand the trade offs of. Um, should I try to add more yardage and what's my fairway trade-off going to be and how, how's that going to affect my strokes gained? And we can help them with stuff like that too. But, um, and to the other point you made, Jeff, caddies are tend to be our biggest kind of, there's the folks I'm actually talking to more often. Every player and team will be a little different. Uh, some players are very involved and they want to design and know the strategy themselves and others totally offshore that to their caddy. And so the caddy will be the one who's, you know, I can see them logging into the platform on Tuesday, on Wednesday before the players and, and looking at stuff. So it just, uh, it, it'll depend team to team, but caddies are absolutely, that's why we kind of wanted to build a system um, so that you can come in and access this stuff whenever you want to, whenever you need to. Okay. So one more question on the sports stuff, and then we got to ask you our seven questions for the, the, from our listeners, and then we'll get you out of here. But when you think about the sports that you've done, golf, basketball, and soccer, you know, which is the most interesting to you? It sounds like 
golf, but, and what are sort of the, the common themes that, you know, you would, you know, give to someone, um, if they were thinking about doing analytics in a new sport? I think there's so much overlap and, you know, I refer to is bringing in a fourth sport here, but I mentioned our software engineer, you know, works, uh, has worked in baseball. A lot of the ways we map shots onto a hole is very similar to some of the underlying math they use to map pitches, you know, pitchers pitch map. Um, just like if you, if you throw a pitcher's pitch map up and you just color balls and strikes, different colors, if you look at a golf hole and you just color pars and birdies, different colors, it's not going to be a very good decision support tool. Like what you see on TV, like, a player can't look at that and really design a strategy from it. Um, so there's so much overlap in it's like why I love Sloan, the papers uh, and talking to some people there across sports, because there's so much that can be taken uh, from sport to sport. Um, you know, and you, I'll give you another example would be like a mixed effects model for, you know, using golf courses is very similar to a mixed effects model, you know, that maybe does uh, park effects right in another sport uh whether you're talking about ele you know elevation or travel for basketball yep. or or um you know baseball obviously park effects being a big deal so there's so many parallels it's why you know i'm you know i i think having worked in multiple sports has formed my thoughts and my philosophies around what we're doing in golf and i think that's maybe an advantage that we have because we've thought about these things from different aspects now we're just applying it to to the sport that might be best suited for it because you don't get 11 dudes out there trying to tackle you while you hit a golf ball. I'm smiling here because I've built mixed effects models for park effects and for golf. So I get it. it I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of very clean out of the box when you, and you frame a golf question that way with field strength and co courses being different. So yeah, it's uh, it, it, it maps really nicely. All right. We're going to give you our seven questions and get you out of here. Who is funnier Rufus or Jeff? Uh, Rufus, because, oh, I want to, I want to make a joke here, but I won't Rufus. You got to make the joke Rufus. Cause I haven't seen Jeff's golf swing in person yet. <laughs> Who's smarter Rufus or Jeff? Plead the fifth. Oh, well, yeah. Plead the fifth. Can't plead the fifth. Uh, what's the least relatable food that you like? Um, candy corn. I like candy corn. I think it's, I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, everybody relatable. What is uh do you have a favorite gambling moment? Okay, was it, I playing, do. Was, was it playing craps at the encore? And no, no, because uh uh the, the money I lost in craps at the encore was one well worth the price of admission, but two, uh uh that's my you least lost favorite money and Jeff won. I, I like I sat out like you know, one of the other folks had a had a really hot at the wrong I was time like, huh? I, was, I was in the restroom or something yeah uh i didn't get i didn't get to watch anybody get backed off in blackjack which i've still never seen in person so that, that wasn't my 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 favorite gambling moment uh the first wager my wife ever placed we were in las vegas uh in february or march my wife is a unc chapel hill graduate um so she and this was 2015 the year they ended up losing to villanova um maybe 16 um and my wife made a, a small but um sig you know significant to us at the time wager on UNC like 10 to 1 ish um to win the national title and fast forward like 6 weeks we are in person 
uh, watching Chris Jenkins and Josh Hart combine to hit a half quarter to beat UNC in Houston in the NRG Stadium. So that's my favorite gambling moment. I remember that game so well. That yeah. little like drive down, like kicks the ball back and the three yeah. that Jenkins hit was insane. Well, and what nobody talks about is the Marcus Page double clutch three to tie it right before that, which oh was an incredible God. shot. I mean, shot I think out. people do talk about that. They just don't talk about it anymore. That was a ridiculous shot. Yeah. Um, worst loss. So I guess that would fit into the worst loss you've ever had. <laughs> yeah, that was most heartbreaking for sure. Do you have a favorite bet you are making in the next year? Is there is there a, a golfer you think is going to win something? And does I mean this doesn't have to be a literal bet, but like is there something that you believe will happen that um, is in an area of domain that you care about? Um, I was just talking to a uh, a sports writer the other day. I think if I can extend the time horizon a little bit, uh, I'll say the Portland trailblazers have home court and have a, a first round home court series next year in the NBA playoffs. We'll be top four Pretty in the bold. West next year. Person you'd follow blindly. Both you guys. Come on. There you go. You did. That's you followed first, us to dinner. You followed us to the encore. All the Rufus didn't come. To the I, I didn't follow you, to the, but Tom followed you to the encore. Yeah. Uh, Corey, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll get you out so you can go play some golf and hopefully I'll run into you on the golf course. See you guys. It's fun. How, for having how me. far apart are your guys' tea times? Like an hour ish. Yeah. Interesting. Like I want to, I, I got to make a line on whether you guys actually run into each Ooh, other on the course. We can, we can, we can actually, yeah, we can do a head to head. Rufus, you can set a head to head market here. <laughs> I, I could, I, I, I have played that course, by the way, Tom and I were at, we're down there in 2021 and played. I'll send you my GIN number, Rufus. There you go. Okay. All right. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay. That was our interview with Corey Jazz. Um, I think I mentioned like what I found was interesting was sort of like the journey that he's kind of gone through because I think, you know, we talked a little bit off off the air after the, we stopped recording a little bit about just the challenges that you face in analytics, in sports, in terms of as you certainly as you get older and need to provide for your family and whatnot, because you know, hopefully this is changing that, that those roles will start becoming higher profile and therefore more, um, more compensation attached to them. Um, but it is, it is interesting to like, look at his journey and where he's at right now. And, you know, hopefully this, this golf thing goes well for him. Yeah. I mean, I think to have a real impact, you need somebody analytically inclined. That's a decision maker, not just an analytics person, someone who understands analytics, the importance of it, but they have the other bona fides or, not even just bona fides. They have the other things that'll get them to that role of GM or something where they're actually making decisions. Like, yeah. I, I still remember this is 10 years ago, meeting somebody on a, on a plane. Uh, the person I was sitting next to on the flight um, told me that they, their son actually worked for the Yankees as their analytics person. And they literally, and they would, prepare these reports for Joe Girardi um, that Brian Cashman wanted them to, uh, him to prepare. And Joe Girardi would throw them in the trash without reading them and like do it in front of him just to let him know that's how much he cared. <laughs> you know, so that's, I think, I think we've progressing, we've progressed beyond that a little bit, but still, I, I think there are challenges. Um, 
PGA or the players. I'm like a little sad that we're not doing a Calcutta for the, for the players because it was oh. really fun. I remember last year, like I, you know, like I had a lot you... of success in that one. I remember I, I did enjoy that one a lot. And you know, it's funny with this whole uh, full swing show on, on Netflix, which I'm, I'm basically, did you, have you finally watched it, Jeff? Yeah, I watched, no. I've watched, you... I haven't watched the last episode. I think I'm, I'm maybe... you watched the Joel Damon episode. I did watch the Joel Damon episode. Does that but make I you like Joel Damon even more? The process if we, we can, we definitely need to. Yeah. So I, um, it's fun to relive those tournaments because ultimately, you know, from a standpoint of the Calcutta, we sweat them so much, or at least I do. And, you know, seeing this and play out like the players, like I forgot about that JT comeback and like that, you know, obviously like for us, we ended up having Pereira, JT and Zalatoris in the player and the players, uh, sorry, in the PGA championship. Um, but it's fun. It's fun. Like this, the, the show's great. It's fun. It's entertaining. Um, how about I wish it was the, more episodes. Well, like if, they're a, it's got yeah. renewed for a new season. So I know it's only like, you know, I, I haven't watched drive to survive though. So, I mean, is it similarly few episodes or say it's I, pretty good. That's, that's what they do say. Okay. You want to pick though? Yes. I know who um, mine is. Who's yours? I'll let you go first. I'm, I'm going to go with Rory. Rory. Yeah. See, I don't, here's the thing. I don't like any of the favorites here, really. I think the favorites are priced uh, too high or their odds are too low. It's, it's a course with a lot of randomness and a lot of, well, a lot of variance first off and a lot of randomness in, as well. And the weather isn't supposed to be as kind of crazy as it has been in previous players, but I still think, um, I mean, my Sims, I, I make Rory the favorite. I, I don't have him as the highest projected golfer. I, I make him uh, plus 1285. Um, but the fact that he's a, he's got more variance is why he's the highest priced for outrights. I'm going to go with somebody kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum of favorite underdog, and I'm going to take... Um, I'm going to take Alex Norin, who I make 106 to one, and you can get 150 to ones out there on him. Uh, FanDuel still, I believe, you know, I think Pinnacle is 129. Yeah, 135 bet online. So Alex Norin. What do you make Sam his, Burns? It's going to be his marquee win. What do you make Sam Burns and Keegan Bradley? Sam Burns, 114 to one. He's been playing like crap lately, by the way. Mm -hmm. And Keegan Bradley, um, his it's a good, pretty good course for him. I, I would say uh, I'm gonna. Why can't I find him on my list? Here we are, seventy-one to one for Kiko. Got it. So most of my value, I found a lot of value this week actually on outrights, and it's almost all in the like two hundred plus to one shots, like the like Andrew Putnam, two hundred plus to one. I make him one hundred and fifty-four to one. Nice. All right. So bet some long shots this weekend and we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Simulate a system to break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of leaded.